Greetings. This is the Sound Health Radio Show, where we talk about the crossroads of the environment and our health. With Richard Talk to Me Guy, and as we know, Sherry Edwards is off working on the SoundHealthPortal.com. Some of the current campaigns at the Sound Health Portal are stem cells, fibromyalgia, corona conflict, bio diet. And I recommend to learn more about the soundhealthportal.com. I think it's really great to go there, scroll down to the videos button, click that, find one of the videos that, which is a demonstration where Sherry's live online with somebody doing a workup. And once you watch the video, it'll all be really clear about the intake of the voice, how it's run through the software, how the reports come out. And it's all available now online at the soundhealthportal.com. And I think that's really the best way to understand what it is, how it works, and how you can use it. Because it's really a really powerful tool. One of my favorite programs is neuroplasticity, which I can run a vocal print, which is just a voice recording, through the software and get a report back and see if there's an imbalance in what's going on and how my brain is working and how I might make it better or I might not be assimilating or I might have too much of something which can be an indicator of not assimilating. So go to the soundhealthportal.com, scroll down to the videos, pick one of recent interest, and that's a great way to see it. And then it really makes more sense than me just talking about it. To hear and share replays of the show, about 20 to 30 minutes after I end the show, or you hear the outro music, you can go to talktomeguy.com, all words, scroll down that page, and you'll see the show there in about, as I say, 20 to 30 minutes with complete show notes and any links that we have discussed during the show in those notes. And you'll be able to scroll down, whether you're on a mobile device or on a browser or on your computer, you'll be able to scroll down in that show and right below the show notes is a live player that you can just listen right there. And or you can also click on any of the numerous links to such things as Google Podcasts or iOS Podcasts or Dogcatcher, Pocket Casts, Overcast, so many casting devices. And those are all apps where you'll find the show, usually within about 30 minutes. It takes a while for the aggregators to find it. And if you want to have it, leave me any comments, you can, at the bottom corner of those show notes, there's a microphone, and you can click on that and leave me a message and say, hey, what about this? What about that? Where's that link? And I'll be happy to get back to you. Also, you can make suggestions for guests. With that, John David Mann is co-author of more than 30 books including four New York Times bestsellers and five national bestsellers, including The Go-Giver, co-authored with Bob Berg, which has sold over one million copies and won the 2017 Living Now Book Awards Evergreen Medal for its contributions to positive global change. John's wife, Anna, holds a master's degree in clinical psychology and dance movement therapy from Antioch, New England where she specialized in working with adults and family therapy. In addition to her work in family therapy and Five Secrets Marriage Coaching, she's been a clinical director for a program for people with Alzheimer's disease, co-founded New England's First College of Chinese Medicine, and worked as a corporate consultant, speaker, trainer, and business coach. 
John and Anna have been dreaming about co-writing The Go-Giver Marriage for nearly two decades. The book will be released in March 2022. John and Anna join us to talk about The Go-Giver Marriage. Welcome, Anna and John. Thank you. Hello. Thank you so much. There we go. There we go. Hi there. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> Got quiet for Thank a second. You. I thought, oh, no, I Thank have to you. talk good for an sir. hour. We were both we were both awed by your introduction. Yes. Good 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 morning, good afternoon. Good to be here. Good morning. Um okay, this is gonna be exciting because relationships. Really? You think it's important? Um <laughs> I just <clears throat> blows my mind. So you've been wanting to do this for over sixteen years, let's say twenty years, because let's round everything up. What was what took you so long? And or was there a nudge for the pandemic of the pressure of people being together 24-7 that kind of helped go, well, this would be an excellent time for us to get this out there? Your choice of who takes that. John? You go first, sweetheart. Sweetheart, you take it. Well, the original Go-Giver, when it came off of the printer, <laughs> excuse me, um, I was the first reader. And I remember reading it and being astonished by the book. The book is really a gem. And I said to John, wow, this is an incredible book. People are going to love this. And this would make an amazing book about marriage and relationships. And that started the conversation. We would go for long walks every day, and we would go out and walk and talk about it. And But, of course the publisher of The Go-Giver had a number of books already queued up. So there were, there are four Go-Giver books in the series, this being the fifth. And all four of the first Go-Giver books are all devoted to business and to the values of being generous and being somebody who gives more value than you take in business. And so it has spread through the business community wildly. People all over the world are love the book. And, but people have been asking us, people would write to us and say, you know, I would love to be able to apply these principles to my marriage, to my family, to raising children. And so John and I were just really excited by those letters because it's exactly where we wanted to go. Um, and that's really what made the book come to life. But when the pandemic hit and we knew that people were in close quarters with their kids underfoot, and that marriages were struggling, and especially right now when divorces are just at an all-time high in the United States, um, we felt like this was the time that it, there was no waiting anymore. We had to get the book um, created, published, and out to the market. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll chime in there and add to that. You know, that's, that's, uh, that's the timeline in a T, and it's um, – I like to say that this is a book that, I mean, yes, this is a book we've been wanting to write ever since the first Go-Giver came out. Actually, as Anna said before, when it came off my desktop printer, when it was a couple of years, um, uh, as as you know, talk to me, Guy, uh, the Go-Giver, original Go-Giver, took a couple of years to get to press because it was rejected like 22 times by publishers. It's one of those great uh, perseverance stories where yeah, 22 publishers said no, and then it's, one finally said yes, and then a million copies later, you know, we wonder if the first 22 are going, no, <laughs> but, um, 
But I like to say that Anna has wanted to write this book since before she even knew she wanted to write this book. Uh, since hmm. the day she came out of grad school decades earlier. I mean, she's, this is like her passion. Um, she is a, a clinical therapist and, and, and marriage coach. This has been, she's had a, you know, as, as your uh, amazing introduction highlighted, she's done a lot of different things. She's done many extraordinary things that weren't even in the introduction. Um, could talk for an hour about that, but this has really been the focus of her life, helping couples, helping families, helping people live richer, more fulfilling lives. It's, you know, it's your training and it's your mission. So, you know, I've published over 30 books and all but one or two have been co-authorships, partnerships with other, with other people. It's kind of my, my model. It's how I work best um, or it's how I work. And, this is the first time we've done one. This is the first time that my co-author has been my wife, my best friend. Um, so for years, we've been talking about doing something together. I mean, we've done business projects. We've worked in entrepreneurships together. We've done all kinds of other projects together. But this is the first book we've actually um, written together, although I would imagine not, not our last and how was that experience for you, John, who you've been a solo writer, even though I know Anna is your first read, I believe, always. Yep. How yep. was that experience for you working? I know you worked with other people, but this is an intimate relationship to start with, and then you start writing. How's that? How <laughs> was that for you? You know, none of the other co-authors also would be in the kitchen outside when I walk out of my room. <laughs> it's a little different. Uh, you're right. Cause I have this, uh, it's funny cause my business model or my writing model, I should say is that when I co-author a book with someone like Bob Berg or Brandon Webb or whomever, um, you know, we talk a lot. I interview them in some cases or I get familiar with their material and their thinking and I get to know them and we have a lot of exchange, but when it comes down to writing the book, I kind of close the door, turn off the phone and I, and go. It's, it's, that's, you know, I write in solitude. It's my deal. I, and, and then when the, when the draft is finished, I open the door back up and turn the phone back on and I get on with them, you know, and we talk, they, they look at the manuscript and we go back and forth. And um, depending on the co-author, we might do a little bit of revision or a lot of revision, but the actual, the writing, the grunt work, the creation part, that's just me. This didn't go that way. This didn't work that way. This was different. Um, because it's us, and we know each other so well, and Anna, of course, knows this material so well. So um, it, it was a real back-and-forth partnership. As Anna says, on long walks, we, we talked about a lot of the, the ideas, the bones of the book. So the book itself is, is, um, is broken down in two halves, or it, it, it falls out in two halves. The first half is called The Parable, and it's a story, like all the other Go-Giver books, about a young couple named Tom and Tess who, uh, who are having some struggles in their lives. They've had some very, very difficult few years um, just with life in general. And, and the second half of the book is called The Practice. And I'm, I'm kind of the principal author of the parable. Anna's the principal author of The Practice. You know, we decided we really, for this book, for something so personal as marriage, the go-giver and the go-giver leader and the go-giver influencer and the other go-giver books all have kind of how-to sections in the back, but they're, they're relatively small. 
the parable is the main thing. For this book, we felt it needed to be different. We felt we really needed to have a, a, a practical hands-on guide in the back that, that is fully as long as the parable and of equal weight. Um, and it was really cool. I, walking together, working together was just was, was amazing. It was, it was a great process. And Anna, I'll, I'll ask you the question because people, I know that you've had a lot of work, I believe both in Chinese medicine journals as well as psychological journals. You've published a lot of work, but this is the first book that I know of that you've written. And how, how was your experience of writing with John? And, and kind of, I mean, it's still, I know that it's your passion, but how was that experience for you? Well, first, John is an exceptional editor. And, you know, when you, I was a professor at the master's level. Um, and so I've, I've worked training other therapists. And so I, I, I find that, you know, when you've been an academic, your writing has a certain academic edge to it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's not always the best for, you know, a book that you really want people to be able to garner something from. And it's not as if I didn't have other experiences writing. I wrote for magazines and other, other avenues where, you know, you're telling a story and it has to, has to be compelling and interesting. Um, but I really wanted to put a real clinical background in the practice. And that is to say, you know, the subtitle of the book is the, a little story about the five secrets to lasting love. And yet, you know, it's great to read the story, but it's much more powerful if you understand sort of the theoretical foundation of the secrets and then how to put them into action in your marriage. And that's really where I, that was my wheelhouse. I really wanted to help people to put them into action in their marriage. Because these are secrets that it only takes one person in the marriage to engage these secrets. And what happens when you shift how you bring yourself to the marriage and the way that you approach your partner, um, everything shifts. And so each secret is, is defined not only for its psychological history and background, which they're all based on developmental theory. And developmental theory in a nutshell says this, what you needed when you were a baby and a young child and an adolescent, you still need now. And so they're all based on on primary development um, so that you can understand why they're powerful. And then there's stories of clients that people that allowed me to tell stories, you know, names changed and, and situations changed, but still they're compelling because you start to see, oh, yeah, we do that. Um, and in addition, it's just really great to have a list of ways that you can employ this so that you can really look at the secret and say, okay, I get it. This is what I need to be doing just maybe three times a day. Each secret is designed to be, you know, something that you could do in less than three minutes a day. And that way you're having an impact on your marriage, but it's not, you know, you're not taken over by, you know, a long list of to-dos to make your marriage better. I was going to say this for later, but I have to say it now because it just lights up for me so much. I I had an aha while reading this book and listening to some other shows and studying for this, that John Mm -hmm. is really a master of the, the parable in the sense of, 
you get into the story, like I think of the the wonderful we did a, I did a show with John about the recipe about the Olympic chef who brought a young man up into the world of the culinary world, and having been a chef for twenty years, I was really something for me. So John is really uh, the master of. I'm reading this. It's a story. Wait a minute. I'm learning something here. What's going on? I didn't read this to learn something. And he really, it's an amazing thing. It reminds me of still the idea of gathering around the fire, as I would say, scuffing in the dirt, which is drumming and ritual. But then there are stories told. And John really is a master of that. He gets you engaged in the sitting around the fire. And the next thing you know, you're hearing a story and you go away thinking something different or thinking. I don't know. John, do you want to say something about that? You sneaky guy. <laughs> I don't know if I should answer better honestly here. I will say this. <laughs> I, um, I, I feel like I, sometimes people ask me to, you know, to kind of give my, my, my professional resume, my curriculum vitae. And I think my curriculum vitae is I've stumbled around for about four or five decades trying to figure out what I'm doing here. <laughs> and, and I think that's what I'm doing here. I, I think that's, you know, it, it's taken me a while to, to sort of figure out what I love. And, and this is what I love is telling stories, telling stories that, that inspire and entertain and inform, but also, you know, inform and, and educate that teach and change. I mean, you know, I put my first novel out last year and son of a gun, it's, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a leadership parable disguised as a crime novel. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's I mean that is what I love to do. Anna is is um, she is a natural born researcher and a natural born teacher. I've watched her stand in front of you know rooms of hundreds and, and even thousands, and she's she's just got a, a gift for standing in front of people or, or for sitting on the phone with people and and helping open their eyes, which is what I think teaching is. Um, you know, not giving information, but helping people open open their eyes and see information and get it. So it was just, it kind of was a natural um, natural fit for me to do the first part and for her to write the second part. And we both, mm-hmm. you know, we're both doing what we love. And son of a gun, we get to do it together. You know, one of the one of the theses of the book, if I can use that word, one of the principles, you know, it says the five secrets to lasting love. And so there are these little, you know, things, principles we're trying to teach. And one of them is, it has to do with the importance of, of, of growing yourself as an individual within the relationship. I mean, a relationship is, you know, in our view is two whole people, self-sufficient, independent, uh, whole, growing, thriving, learning people who come together and form a third thing, sort of an entity that unto itself is like, it's like there's, me in the room and there's you in the room and there's a third being in the room that that is the relationship, the marriage that needs to be fed just like we need to be fed. And so we're growing this this marriage together. We're growing this third thing, this this new life together. We we symbolize it as a tree in the story. Um but we're also still us, each of us. We're also still her and me, me and me and you. So Part of that is that we also really need to grow as individuals because the marriage is only going to be as rich as what you bring to it, what you both bring to it personally, individually. And one of the great things about our life together, we've been together for 25 years, hmm. is that we've grown together as an us, but we've also really 
supported each other in growing each of us as, as, as individuals. And for me, this book is not only our love letter to the world, it's also kind of our love letter to each other because we've, it, it's, it's an outgrowth, a, a manifestation of both of, our, both of our professional journeys. And I think it's also interesting because there was a great line that caught my eye on the gogivermarriage.com site. And it says that the go-giver marriage brings the personal side of the go-giver to life. Would you talk about that, John, just a bit? I think that's a really interesting idea of the go-giver marriage. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that the the go-giver itself, the original book was billed as a business book and it's held as a business book positioned that way. And we even refer to it that way, but it's really more than that. It's a life book. It's a book about how to be a human being. Um, so I think, you know, I think there always were these implicit or even, even a little explicit in the book. There were always these principles about how to relate to other human beings, how to be a person. There's a chapter in the original goal giver. I think it's chapter nine. So in the middle of the book where the hero, Joe, we see him alone uh, or we see him at home with his wife, Susan. Only time in the book where we actually see a domestic scene with Joe and his wife. And in that scene, that kind of describes how their marriage has become kind of not exactly empty, but a little unsatisfying, a little rote, a little stressed. And in that scene, Joe makes a shift. And it's that shift, it's, the, it's really the first moment in the book where Joe starts to get the message of the story. And, um, you know, because my philosophy is that if the book's any good, the reader travels with the hero of the book. It's also the first moment that the reader starts to feel that shift in the book. And for me, in a sense, that's where the, that's where the go-giver marriage was born in, in that moment, because what this book is, this book takes a look at that, at, that, at the, the go-giver idea of living with generosity, of living with a focus on how I can support the other person, how I can improve the other person's life, rather than looking at them as a way that they can improve my life. Mm-hmm. This book takes that idea and, and, you know, and shines a light on it in, in the context of, of two people sharing your life together. So. And Anna, we're going to dive now into the go-giver marriage. And Anna, I have a clarifying question on a phrase, enhancing the tone and quality of your, our marriage. And the question is about tone, and that, bec- that comes from... Uh, because of Sherry Edwards' work here at Sound Health Options and the Sound Health Portal, mm-hmm. it's all about sound and tone. And that's how you can balance a condition by using a, a very specific series of sounds that are brought about by analyzing your vocal print or your voice and then seeing what's out of balance. And then the software says, oh, use this tone or this sound, this frequency to help balance, bring that back into balance. And I know also that in Chinese medicine, there's a term of tone in terms of chi and points in the body, acupuncture points. So what is tone in reference to the go-giver marriage? Mm-hmm. I, love the, um, I love this dialogue because, honestly, tone is everything. I mean, you either have a hands-on-your-hip tone or you have a tone of 
Excuse me. <laughs> or you have a tone of, of generosity, or you have a tone of compassion, um, or you have a tone of, of flirting, or you have a tone of, of deep and sensitive loving. Um, you know, the, the tone, you know, and let's bring it back to being an infant. When an infant is laying on a blanket and their parents or their grandparents over them, looking down at their face, and that baby is cooing, and the person is basically saying, you are the cutest baby ever. <laughs> you know, they are, they are basically in there giving them a tone, if you will, that is pure joy, pure love, and admiration. You are the most perfect baby that has ever come down into life. And, you know, the, the baby just eats it up. It's, it's food for the baby. It's the beginning acknowledgement of their self. And in a marriage, it's just as critical. But when we get busy, we, we tend to lose it. You know, we tend to get caught up in the stresses. You know, there can be all kinds of difficult things that happen. People have miscarriages. They have a child with special needs, as a couple in our story. And, you know, life happens. Um, People lose their job. Finances go up. Finances go down. And the tone of a marriage can really shift to an operational tone. How are we going to get out of this? Who's to blame for this? You know, how are we going to manage this? Mm-hmm. Well, I think... When I had... Go ahead. When I had a child with special needs, I was teaching at a university, and I was also um, working full-time. And I had planned to take some time off, but I didn't plan to have my life rearranged. I had to quit all my jobs because my child couldn't go to daycare and needed needed a developmental therapist. Well, uh, also there's the, uh, this is an odd crossroads. It makes sense in my mind. There's, uh, in interviewing Bruce Lipton a number of times, he doesn't directly use the term, but he really does talk about our cells are listening in the sense of receptor sites and the cells have antenna and they're, they're designed to receive certain things. However, he believes that the overall environmental exposure to the system is that of our cells are listening, what I would call our cells are listening. And it's a crossroads for me of that and Julia Ross's work, working with people in recovery and amino acid work, that there are amino acids you can take that will bump the serotonin levels and serotonin is the hormone of feeling, ah, at ease, relaxed, Um, more, and I think that's part of that billing and cooing of babies and talking to, I have the same thing with animals, where you talk to them and you can, you can speak to an animal in a particular tone and they'll, their ears will go down or they'll tilt their head or they're, you know, they feel that sense. 
And I think part of what you're talking about is that very sense of tone, the power of tone and that in your voice, how you speak to people, how you talk to your beloved. Um, you know, as you said, the hand on the hip made me snort because I've had that very hand on the hip thing like, oh, boy, this is not good, hand on hip tone. Um, and whether it's physical or it's just an audio, you know that tone. Tone really is a powerful and, thing. And it is physical. As a movement therapist, it's purely physical. I mean, people know in an instant, based on your body language and the way that you are moving through the room. So. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it is physical. And it can get more physical, which is never good. Well, or it's great. Uh, just kind of <laughs> <one> direction. <laughs> and, John, I want to I jump slightly and ask about... I heard or read, it's a blurry thing at me, at, for me at this point because I do so much of both. I heard or read you say, changing a marriage is, not like an, is a lot, not like an ocean liner. It is like being a tugboat. Would you talk about that? I thought that was a great, that was a great like, wow, that is great. Would you talk about that, please? <laughs> I did say that recently. And it was one of those things that just kind of flew out of my mouth and then I thought, Oh, that's an interesting thought. I should think about that. What does that mean? Um, but, but in all seriousness, you know, back to tone for a second, because we'll segue there. The, the, the aim of the book is you could, you could boil it down to say the aim of the book is really to help people change their tone uh, through some specific concrete actions and formulas and behaviors that we outline as, as these five secrets. And, you know, we have ways of, of kind of trying to access the right tone. Um, but the, the one of the things that we like to tell people is this is not like some big dramatic thing. This is not like you're gonna you're gonna go to intensive uh, primal scream therapy for you know six weeks. Um, you're not drag your spouse to a to a retreat for for a month, spend a hundred thousand dollars. That the great changes, that the, the deep and powerful changes in your life typically don't come, and I mean positive changes, typically don't come from some dramatic gesture, but from the little things you do every day. It's the little things you, you do, as Anna says, in a minute, in a moment, in three minutes a day, um, that you do over and over. The way posture is built. You don't, you don't uh, you know, establish a physical posture by spending an hour twisting yourself a certain way. You establish a physical posture by the way you hold yourself every day doing the things around the kitchen, doing things in your office, doing things as you walk in and out of the car or you walk in and out of the house. This is like that. It's the little behaviors. And the tugboat idea was that the change in marriage is not, is not an ocean liner. It's not some big dramatic thing. It's the tugboat as in the little movements every day, the little tugs on your behavior, the little gestures, um, you know, we were, we have a friend who wrote a book called a hundred things I love about you. And where the title came from was she was on the verge of, of divorce. She was just at ends with her husband. And she said to her husband one day, look, we're going to make an appointment. It's either going to be with the counselor or with the lawyer, and you get to decide. And her husband said, I choose counselor. Good move. Um, so they did. They went to the counselor, and, and the counselor you know, got, got to know them and then had a session with just her and said to um, – said to her, 
I want to ask you to tell me about, tell me uh, all the things you love about your husband. And she just like was paralyzed. She had nothing. She just couldn't think of what to say. Just tell me five things you love about her husband. She couldn't come up with five things. She thought, I can tell you ten things I don't like about him right now. But um, the husband said, the, the therapist said, no, I just want to hear, give me three things you love about your husband. And she could only come up with one, which oddly was one of the things that Anna loves about me. She said, he brings me a cup of tea every morning. Huh. Building on that, she came up with number, thing number two, which was that he's funny. Thing number three, he was great with the kids. Thing number four, thing number five, thing number six. And, and she built a list. And, you know, this is 35 years later, and they're just incredibly happily married. It's the bringing the cup of tea every morning. It's the saying the nice words of appreciation. It's the, it's the generous gestures, the little gestures that, that just tug the ship of your marriage in the direction that it wants to go. Mm -hmm. And this seems like a great lead in. I hadn't planned this. Um, How do I improve my relationship by focusing on my own mindset? That seems counterintuitive. Oh, Anna, that is not counter. Yeah, that is not counterintuitive at all. And let me put that in a nutshell for yourself. Okay. If you try to build intimacy with another person before getting a hold on your own, all of your relationships will be an attempt to complete yourself. Mm. And what I mean by that is, you know, we all arrive at marriage with what I typically say is many, many suitcases each. And what happens is that sometime after the honeymoon, the suitcases start magically unpacking themselves. And what that is, in essence, is your history starts to permeate the relationship. If you had um, a critical father who dismissed you all the time, you have one of two choices. You might be the person that is dismissive, or you might have married somebody who's dismissive. But all of that is an attempt to heal yourself. It's, it's not that we're just attracted to people. We're attracted to people who will help us work out the very issues that we felt when we were children, when we had less control. And whatever our history, you know, some people have tremendous trauma in their history. Sometimes people have a parent who's depressed or a parent who's alcoholic. Um, and so these are all things that you really, you know, you arrive at the marriage and it's all there. You've got it. But you do want to spend the energy and the effort to work on yourself in order to get hold with yourself so that you're not bringing your most damaged self to the relationship, expecting it to be healed magically. Sorry, I Does got lost in thinking about that. No, no, that totally makes sense, and that's why I was thought I was going, oh, yeah, wow, that, <laughs> that thing. Yeah, mm. yeah, that's a whole show unto itself. We'll have you back for that conversation. I'll lay down on the couch. We can re- I can really work on that. Um, wow. Well, it's really, the, it's really the foundation of marriage therapy, Richard. I mean, uh-huh. I honestly have to tell you that a lot of times when a couple really decides they're going to work on a marriage, 
what happens is you start to see the wounds of each person coming into the room and you get to talk about them because some people were really treated very poorly when they were children. And what they learned how to do is defend and shut off. And there's nothing lonelier in a marriage than having somebody who has shut off their emotions and they're just not accessible. Um, You know, they might be sitting in front of the TV drinking a beer and they really don't want to talk. They don't want to have that closeness, that companionship, because this is how they're coping. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's important. I, I'm going to add to that, too, Richard. There's, a, there's, a, you know, there's sort of a shift in, um, I guess you could say in perspective. There's a shift in approach that, that we advocate, which is, Looking at, let's say, a conflict in a marriage or a conflict in a moment, conflict in a, in, a, in, a, in a morning, the tendency under stress or in conflict is to isolate, is to pull back, defend or go on the attack, whatever the, the, the flavor of it is, is to separate into you and me so that, you know, I'm upset about something you did or I'm upset about something you said or, or you know, it's like I'm the injured party in some way and you're, and you're the cause of it. <laughs> it's, it's a really natural posture to go to that. And it's a really fruitless posture. It leads down a road that goes nowhere in terms of, in terms of building the relationship. And it's a road, um, you know, unfortunately, that often, uh, uh, you know, couples therapy, especially on daytime TV, can, can devolve into, you know, slugfest of like who caused what and who, who's, the, who's to blame about what and who did more what and who did less what. We talk about dropping the scorecard and having the perspective that if I'm upset, it's my upset. If I'm irritated, it's my irritation. Um, I, I may see you as a catalyst in that. And you, that may or may not be, be accurate, but it's mine. And it comes from somewhere that's, that's me. So that, we, so that in the larger sense, working on the marriage is working on myself. Working on the marriage is working on my own stuff, is my own growth. From my perspective, my wife is my partner in growing myself as a human being. And there's a Mm. line in the book that says, the purpose of marriage is to give yourself to to another person and in the process, become your best self. And, And that's, you know, that's what we... That's kind of our perspective, that the, that the real work and marriage work is, is personal growth. It's, it's working on, it's on yourself. It's becoming a better you, even the best you possible. It takes me to that cinematic moment. You said this somewhere, but it also is always ringing in my mind with Jack Nicholson saying, ah. I forget who at this particular moment, saying, you make me want to be a better man. You make me want to be a better man. Yeah. <laughs> it's Helen Hunt, he says it too. And it's, it's just right near the end of the, it's right at the end of the movie. And it's, we both, we both just love that line. because It's just, it's just so uh, vulnerable and it's so honest. And it speaks to the heart of, to me, it speaks to the heart of marriage. I am so much better of a person, or let me say it more accurately, so much more of myself. Um, as a result of my years with Anna than I ever could have been on my own. Wow. Um, 
Anna, would you talk about living with the spirit of generosity? I think that's a power thing. Sure, absolutely. I think it's um, it's a you know it's a key to the of the whole entire Go Giver series. Whether you're a go you know the Go Giver leader is all about being generosity as a leader and. And I guess I'll just say that as a leader, most people really don't understand one of the key tenets of leadership, which is give leadership to others. Don't Mm -hmm. keep it for yourself. That's the selfish path. And the same is true in business, and the same is true in marriages. People really look at the 50-50 contract. What can I get? What is the marriage going to give me and they aren't often you know making the what can I do to build the marriage what can I do to make the marriage better and that spirit of generosity when it's applied to parenting you know it's just as easy to build a child's self-esteem as it is to bust it and the truth is did you get any satisfaction when you busted it and the same for marriage you can build your husband or your wife's self-esteem or you can bust it and those are things that you know people do in moments where they're triggered there's a reaction and they come from a place that's very primal and they don't stay in control they don't use their own emotional intelligence to stay in control of their reactions and if people can learn there are things that we really outline in the book especially in the practice um, and, it, and these are things that other theorists have brought to the table. You know, in my early career, I studied with John Gottman's work. And, you know, Dr. John Gottman is one of the leading marriage researchers in the world, you know, the leading marriage researcher. And he has a lot to say about what happens when a fight starts. Um, but the key, the key thing is, can you keep it from escalating? Can you keep it calm? And Terry Real, who has also contributed broadly to the marriage information and research out there and has written several very powerful books, you know, also really talks about, you know, the impact of one's history and trauma and how it plays on the marriage and how it changes that tone. So I think that that spirit of generosity is everything because if you can be generous enough to know that your wife or your husband just had a really bad day at work and they are cranky and they are currently taking it out on you. And you can back up just enough to say, sweetheart, let me get you a cup of tea. Let me get you a glass of water. Let me give you a shoulder rub. Let me give you some time to, to take a walk in the park with nobody. Um, You know, whatever it is that person needs at that moment, if you can be the one that says, I can see that you had a rough day and that you're really not in a great space, and why don't we just take a break and I'm going to pour you a glass of wine. You can sit on the back patio or, you know, whatever, you know. I mean, I don't mean to put alcohol in the picture per se because, I, I, you know, plenty of people don't have alcohol in their life. But you know what I'm saying. Um, Find a way to take a break and acknowledge that they had a rough day and that you feel it and you want to help them to shift 
how they're feeling. And then even to say, hey, if you want, I know your boss has been really rough lately. If you want to talk about it, I'm here. You know, you're, mm. you're leaving the space to listen. And I mean, I don't mean listen with the aim to fix. I mean, listen, as in just take it in and say, uh-huh. You know, there's a, there's a great phrase that a friend of mine uses, um, and it's a joke between the two of he, him and his wife. And he says that when my wife's on a tear, I have a phrase that I use. And I don't say a word the whole time she's ranting, but about every three minutes I say, the bastards. <laughs> when she's done ranting, she feels really happy because I she's heard. <laughs> she did not want me to fix it. She wanted me to listen and be, you know, empathic and sympathetic. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, that kind of tone, it, it, you know, and again, I call it the tone of compassion. You know, when you have compassion for what your partner is going and you have enough emotional intelligence to stop the action and identify that this isn't about you. He is not attacking you or she is not attacking you. They are at their wit's end. They might have been taking care of a kid with, you know, multiple disabilities and, you know, anger issues all day. And they're strung out. It's all in context. And context is everything. But generosity changes context every single day in relationships across the world. Mm-hmm. And a secondary question for me about in relationship to this is how do we learn to receive? We don't seem to be taught how to receive. And I, I mean all sorts of receiving, whether it's a gift or a compliment or a suggestion or idea, possibly a complaint. How do we learn to receive and just receive, not, not react, not put it on the toxic scorecard, not any of those things, just receive, just hear, just have that moment of I'm hearing something or I'm receiving something. How do we ooh, learn ooh, ooh, that? I have an answer. Ooh, ooh okay. I have an answer. <laughs> um, I, you can't see, but I'm waving my hand in the air. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, mean, I think one, it's a great question because that is, you know, that is one of the conundrums of this whole business of the spirit of generosity. It, it goes back to the Go-Giver book, the original Go-Giver book, something that we have heard for years. You know, the original Go-Giver book is based on five laws of stratospheric success. And the first three are, the first four are all about giving, different aspects of giving. And the fifth is about receiving. It's about, and it says the, you know, the, the secret to, or the key to uh, continuous giving is to stay open to receiving. Over the years, since that book has came out, since that book has came out, has come out, um, hundreds of people perhaps ha- have written to us, talked to us, and said, you know, the first four laws I get, the fifth is the one I stumble over, and it's so interesting. People are, you know, at least the ones who are reading the book and talking to us are, are, you know, have no problem being giving people the spirit of generosity. Something people like to glom onto. It's something people like to, they feel good about about practicing and exemplifying. But you know, how gracefully do people accept a compliment? Oh, that that dress looks very nice. Oh no, it's just something I threw on. You know, it's it's a joke, right? But it's it's a cliche that that speaks to a truth. 
um, people feel awkward sometimes receiving, or they, or as you say, they take it as a, you know, they take it as a tally in a book or something in a scorecard book. So how do you learn to just receive gracefully? And I think one way is to, oddly enough, practice giving gracefully. I mean, one way to learn how to take a compliment from your spouse is to give one to your spouse. Practice speaking words of appreciation to them. Practice telling them what you love about them. There's no strings attached. There's no angle to it. You just tell them. You know, I just, I just got to tell you, I think you look, you're looking fantastic today. This, you know, or, or I want to tell you, that thing you did that I saw you do with our kids was just the most thoughtful thing. I love how you are with them. I love how you talk to them. Um, I love how you talk to me. You really cheered me up last night. I was down the dumps and I didn't want to ask for any help, but you just said a few things and it, it transformed my evening. Thank you so much. Little things like that. You learn how to give them. It becomes much easier to take them, to receive them. Hmm. Anna, did you, was there a thought you wanted to add to that? No, I think that John said it beautifully. I think that um, receiving is that same empty place in us that um, that doesn't feel we deserve it. And I think that a lot of kids who are now adults grew up in environments where they were kind of given the message that, you know, you know, the hands on your hips message. You're only going to get this if you do this. And other than that, you don't deserve it. And, you know, it's a false premise. We are all Hmm. children of God. We all deserve the greatest gifts in life. You know, I I just deeply believe that goodness is and love is the, the primary energy of the universe. And if you don't believe you belong there, then you've already separated yourself in a deep way. So I, I work with clients all the time around issues of deservability because everyone's got a little voice that says, I'm not enough, and therefore I don't deserve this. And that is the base of people holding themselves back from really seeking the things in life that they're passionate about, that they would love to, ways that they would love to contribute, ways that they would love to give, ways that they would love to create a business or a new life or things that they would love to teach. You know, I've, I've been a therapist for years and I love to teach the work. I love to teach it. And so, you know, we're taking workshops out across the country that will be by Zoom where people can literally go to our website and sign up and be in a Zoom workshop every month so that they can listen and learn and, and also ask questions and, and be, have that opportunity because receiving is, is so powerful. And, you know, John's taught me a lot about receiving. He's the most generous person I've ever known. I mean, he's just, you know, there's the tea in bed first thing in the morning. I mean, I haven't even sat up and there's a cup of tea on the bedside table. I mean, it's, but it's beyond that. It's like, even when we were writing this book, I would have my moments of hesitation where I would say to him, you know, I'm really a clinical writer. I don't know if I'm, I can do this. And, you know, he'd be like, just write. I know you can do it. And don't edit yourself. (laughs) What I realized is that that was that little voice inside of me that was like, 
you're not good enough. You can't do this. And, you know, as soon as I stopped editing every word I put on the page, it started to flow. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What a gift. I like it. That's an amazing gift. And in our last maybe 10 or so minutes, which I'm shocked we're here already, I think we should talk some, somewhat about the five secrets. <laughs> Although we could continue this dialogue for so long. Um, but talk about the secrets and how they can get us out of – I wrote this down, but I don't know where I heard or read this – how the five secrets can help us get out of that addictive cycle of, mm. I, sus- I suspect the, the cycle of, you know, feeling powerful because we just told our beloved something bad or wrong or incorrectly or, you know, a bad tone or all the back to tone that we're, we're communicating mm-hmm. in a tone that is not beneficial to either one of us. And it's certainly not going to lead to the, you make me want to be a better man kind of cycle of bad tone or the same thing with a better woman. It's bad tone is whether it's, whether it's body language or it's audio, bad tone is gnarly. I know that's not a medical term, but that's what comes out of my mind. Gnarly. Um, so let's talk about some of the five secrets, uh, such as, as you, we've talked about appreciation, but talk about number two, attend. What does that, what does that mean? I'll ask Anna to start. <laughs> well, attend, attend is, um, you know, it's, it's a very primary thing to be attended to. I mean, when you're an infant, you don't get a diaper change unless somebody attends to you. You don't get a bottle or a breath unless somebody decides to give it. And so the very act of being that vulnerable that your environment has to attend to you and completely and fully support you in your development is the experience of primary narcissism, which is what they call that developmental stage, is where the child develops their sense of self by being cared for and attended to. So fast forward 25, 30 years, and really we have those same needs, but they get defined in different ways. And now you're driving a car. You've got your own career. You have your own apartment. And you're about to get married to somebody. And so being attended to is that action of having somebody do little things for you simply because they know you love it. And I'll give you an example. You know, everybody knows the age-old um, phrase of, uh, you know, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Hmm. <laughs> it's, a, it's a joke at our house because we're foodies, but there's nothing that gives me more pleasure than making something really special for John that he absolutely adores and watching him just enjoy it and feel taken care of and feel special. Um, so it can be as little as, you know, baking brownies, um, or, you know, making some special casserole that, you know, your spouse loves, but you know, that cup of tea in the morning, that's attending. That is, is, you know, John attending to me, giving me something that I absolutely adore. Um, and that is really so powerful. 
you know, you can't, you can't measure it. People do it in lots of different ways. You know, with, with a child, attending to a child might be making certain that you're going to spend that 20 or 30 minutes outside tossing a ball or taking them to the park to swing on the swings. You know, little things make kids really happy and give them the opportunity to blow off some steam. Um, there's just so many ways that you can express it, but it's really about little acts that take care of your partner in specific ways that you know they love. So in a certain I, I, way, I'd to love, me, it seems... Go ahead, John. I was going to say, I'd love to add to that, just to say that, you know, this is something that everybody recognizes immediately when you talk about it. And in fact, most of us just do intuitively, or at least we did when we were first in love. It's, like, it's, this, it's the thing you do when you're dating. It's the thing you do when you're first in that, in that exciting, sparkly place of romance. It's like you're not just bringing flowers. You're just doing everything. You're opening the door and you're just, you're, you're doing everything you can think of, turning yourself inside out and upside down to do nice things for this other person because it just comes naturally. As time goes by, and as the stresses of our lives impinge on us and, and, and take our attention and require our focus, the many, many things that Anna mentioned much earlier in the show, you know, finances go up and they go down. We have medical issues. We have children. We have job issues. It's so easy to forget that. It's so easy to let that go because we sort of start to take our relationship for granted. Our spouse is there. We've already established that we're good together, right? So that kind of goes by the wayside. It's like a luxury that we no longer need. Not true. It's not a luxury, and it is something we still very much need. It's like Anna talks about developmental, developmental needs and developmental issues, developmental psychology. We needed these when we were young. We need them every day we're alive. We need them as adults. And attend has the same root as attention. It's like paying attention, watching the person, learning more about this person. There's a line in the book that says, every individual is an unexplored continent. You want to be learning new things about your spouse when you've been together for 30 years, not just on your third date. I mm. still learn things about Anna that I didn't know that just amazed me. And there's still so much more that I don't know. So we like, Yana talks about uh, interviewing your spouse, you know, sitting your spouse down and saying, I'm going to have an interview. You know, ask questions, find out about them. Those are ways of learning more about the person because the more you learn about them, the more you can attend to them, the more attention you can put, the more you can know what they need and love. Um, attend, interestingly, comes from the same root as tendon. Those, those stretchy things in your body because it, to attend means to stretch out your attention, stretch out your awareness to the other person. It's a way of stretching yourself to be generous to the other person. And we both need it today and we'll both need it forever. It's a way of growing together. And one more example, Richard, is that, you know, I read every single book John writes. I am the very first reader ahead of even editors in New York. Mm. And I've been an editor at a national magazine. So I love to edit. And 
I feel like I have a decent sense of what's wrong in a story if it isn't working. Um, and so that's been like a key cornerstone of ways that I attend to John because he gets, you know, he's a brilliant writer. I mean, his first drafts are just so exciting to read because they're good. But sometimes there's little ways that things are need tweaking or, it, you know, there's just little emotional dimensions that could be richer. And he welcomes that feedback, and it really helps him to make the story better. John is the most humble person I've ever known as a writer because he not only listens to every editor on every book, I'm talking about the publisher's editors, and there's multiple editors on every book. He'll listen to all their feedback, and then he will take it seriously and go in there and work on the book. And every single time the book becomes a, a jewel, it becomes a better and better. He was just, um, he was just nominated for a Barry Award for his very first novel. And there's only five people in the category when you get nominated for a Barry. It's kind of like getting a Golden Globe. It's a very prestigious award. So, you know, things like that, you know, he really pays attention and he appreciates he appreciates me attending to his books in that way. He is on the third draft of a parable that there was something not quite right about it. And every draft got changed a little bit. And when we got to the final draft, he came to me and said, will you read it again? You know, so we're talking about reading the book for the third time. You know, yes, that's what somebody does when they're attending to their spouse. You say yes. And you attend to them in whatever way is going to be the most helpful. Um, you know, John gets shoulder tension. I will massage his shoulders virtually every night before we go to sleep because it's something that just gives him great relief and puts him to sleep in a deeper way. It's a simple thing, but it's something that's wonderful. And there's no scorecard. That's one of the things right. I, I love about the what you are both talking about and what you talk about in the book is there is no... There isn't an agenda that you have by doing that other than John relaxing and having better sleep. And you have the skill to be able to, here, let me do this for you. And that's it. There's no, there's nothing. There's not a like, here's the thing I did today and here's something he did today. There isn't, right. nobody's keeping score. There's, there's no scorecard. There's no scorecard. There's no scorecard. What there is is, but there is a ledger, and the ledger is you're making deposits in your love bank. And this is a phrase I learned from Anna. This is you're making deposits in your in that third entity in the room, the marriage, the relationship, um, and you know you're you're racking up the strength and the and the richness of the of the of the relationship. You know we say that the the you're always either feeding the relationship, the marriage. Or you're starving it. There's no staying in one place. There's no treading water. The relationship is a living organism that's either growing and thriving, or it's it's being starved and it's actually um, you know regressing. So, what takes the place of the scorecard? It's so easy to get that scorecard. And you used the word addictive earlier, Richard. That's this is this is the addiction. The scorecard is addictive. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Criticism is addictive. Keeping track of who did what and who owes what is addictive. The way to break that addictive cycle is by seeing, opening your eyes and seeing that you're, you're feeding 
the the us, the marriage. And so, yeah, Anna massages my shoulders. And it isn't like now I owe her something. It's like what it is like is she just fed the marriage. She just fed the us. I look forward to your next book, Anna, Feeding the Us. Um, I'm really, we can definitely go on. I I suspect there's going to be a part two, Um, but I'm surprised to find that we're at the point of which I ask, Anna, would you tell us a bit about the Go-Giver Marriage Coaching Program? And then, John, after that, if you'll tell us where we can find the book and find more information about you guys. There's um, two elements to our teaching. There's the coaching program, which is basically an opportunity for people who are looking for a new career or who are already coaches and they're looking for a new niche in their coaching career uh, to be able to take our Go-Giver Marriage Coaches training program and be a certified Go-Giver Marriage Coach. And our goal, obviously, is to have coaches all over the world because we feel that the book is significant, the work is significant, and we really would like to see people not only engage in the process, but have that feedback loop. You know, when you're in the process of trying to engage the secrets, having somebody who can help you sort out your material, which I call the little scorekeeper, because you're going to always come back to that place where the little scorekeeper rises up and says, wait a minute. I'm doing all this stuff for him, and what am I getting? You know? <laughs> and so a coach can help you kind of keep perspective and to remember the, the elements of what being a go-giver in your marriage really means um, and how much it will feed and nourish the marriage. And ultimately, we find spouses all the time that are, the marriage is so changed that their spouse who didn't read the book suddenly reads the book and all of a sudden the marriage is really shifting because now that spouse is enacting their own ways of giving back and of being generous of spirit. So that's one. And the second is, again, workshops that we're doing all over the country um, that we're pretty excited about because they're just interactive. They're two to two and a half hours on Zoom and we go through all five secrets in depth We teach and train on what it means and why it's important. It's a slideshow first and and an in-depth training followed by an hour plus, in some cases 90 minutes of taking questions and talking to people specifically about the things that they worry about or that have been a problem for them. And um, they've been just phenomenal. And so people can find all of those elements on our website at – gogivermarriage.com and um, thank you for leaving space for it because we're pretty excited about teaching. Thank you. John, closing thought? We'll do this again soon. <laughs> closing thoughts? I, I, well, I, I'll certainly give, Anna gave the uh, website already. That's, that's where you can certainly find the book, gogivermarriage.com and we, uh, the book launches actually is published officially on March 8th which is, as we speak, a few weeks away. It's actually a month away. If you pre-order the book before that date um, through our website, then you get some gifts we put together, some bonuses, which include a couple of um, little, we call them mini masterclasses. They're 30, 40-minute 
um, sessions of Anna and me sitting on our couch chatting about a few things, the mindset of lasting love and, and dealing with conflict. Um, uh, but your closing thoughts, I will say, um, you know, people hear us talk about marriage and often go to divorce and say, oh, you know, that the goal here is to prevent divorces. And, oh, the divorce rate is so high. And, oh, using your book, you know, we help people avoid divorce. Well, that's a good goal, certainly. Um, you know, if there are marriages like my friends I described who went to the, you know, who had the, the list of things she loved about her husband, if we can take a, a, a relationship that's that's heading toward the rocks and steer the ship away so that it survives and thrives, that's lovely. But this, that's not the only thing we're talking about. We're also talking about relationships that aren't headed for divorce, relationships that survive but aren't what they could be, aren't what they used to be, aren't what we thought that they ought to be. Um, there are so many marriages that don't end in divorce, that live on, but don't really end, live on satisfactorily, that aren't as rich as the two individuals could be experiencing. And that's also what we're here for. We really want people to, to leave this chat today with, with hope um, for a, and a vision for a deeper, richer, more satisfying relationship that, that, that not only that we feed, but also that feeds the both of us, a relationship in which both individuals grow to have richer, deeper, and more fulfilling lives. That's really the goal here. Great. I love the sound of all of that. And with that, I will say thank you both very much. And uh, everybody else, have a great rest of the weekend, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.